We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome back to the Brew Hoop podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual on this joyous night by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. And I know we've been saying, I don't know if you could tell from the tone of our last podcast, but uh, we seem to already be over the Detroit Pistons series even a week ago after one game. But officially the series is done. The Bucks have shed the monkey from their back with a 127-104 victory over the Pistons, their first playoff series win since 2001. That's 18 years, fellas. And before we move on later in the podcast to talk a bit about Boston, I think it's important for us to reflect on how we're feeling after this victory. I mean, I know a lot of us were kind of saying, oh, it's a you know a ho-hum series, let's just kind of move on. But I found myself feeling a little more excited than I honestly thought I would after the victory. Riley, what were some of your first impressions right after the final buzzer sounded and the Bucks took this one. I was actually going to ask if we were going to start off by going around the room here and saying what we were doing in 2001 when the Bucks last <laughs> advanced. I was a fresh refugee from Illinois, just moved up to Wisconsin at the ripe old age of five or six. Um, but no, to the series in general, uh, probably just ultimate vindication. Like the ultimate, ultimate vindication will be depending on how deep they go into the playoffs. But the fact that they were able to trounce like, you know, a decent opponent without ever having to really like adjust what they do. And even when guys had off nights, like Giannis is an off game in game three and you're still able to get through it. No problem at all. Um, I guess excitement that you never really had to adjust or kind of show a new look that you might have to use later down the line. So um, I don't know, just happiness. And it, it, it's difficult when you have like the largest uh, margin of victory throughout a series sweep since like, I think I saw the mid nineties, something like that. Um, so it, it, it's, it's just tough. Cause you don't want to be like, Oh, it was ho-hum after 18 years of futility, but it is, it did kind of feel like that at the end of it, in my opinion. Well, we can get a little misty eyed and go back to where we were. Kyle, what about you? I know you obviously sent out and got some great responses on the brew hoop Twitter account, but you know, thinking about where you were in 2001 and where you are now with this series win, you know, what's this, this sort of felt like to you? Uh, for me, it, I was nine years old when it happened. I remember going to every single Bucks playoff game because I had season tickets when I was younger. So just kind of watching that team, and I honestly thought they could win the whole thing, and you couldn't tell me otherwise. As a nine-year-old, that was full of hope. Um, fast forward 18 years, and now I'm a 27-year-old that is full of hope that they can win the whole thing. I think I'm a little bit more level-headed. Nah, actually, that's not true. That's, that's a false statement. Um, <laughs> Tune into last week podcast if you want an example of Kyle not being level-headed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's kind of, it just feels good because I felt like this giant hurdle that the Bucks mentally had to get over. And, you know, every time there's some opposition of why the Bucks can't go on a run, someone would say, well, I haven't won a playoff series in 18 years. And it's like, yeah, but that was 18 years ago. None of those players, half of those players weren't around when that happened. These aren't the same old Bucks, And I think it just changed now that it's like you won that series. Now they can't say, well, they haven't won a series in X amount of time. Like that's a terrible cop up and it's no longer applicable. So I think it's just kind of like what you're saying, like vindication. But for me at the same time, it's just more 
kind of relief. Just it's like a relief and it feels like a nice weird weight off the shoulder in terms of being a fan just because now you can actually know what it's like to advance and see how the team can react and see how far they can go and it's one of those things where it kind of feels like now they can actually build on it and really take off running yeah i think i i mean i'm thinking back to how i felt basically after that first win when it really did feel just like a regular another regular season game whereas where i felt tonight i know back in 01 I mean, my, my family were Bucks fans, but we weren't like crazy season ticket holding Buck fans or whatever. We were south of Madison, so we didn't really make our way to Milwaukee. Really, the the main thing I remember is like Glenn Robinson missing that like tiny runner on the on the baseline that would have been able to put them you know, put them ahead. That's like the most distinct memory I have from that run. And then basically since then, I mean, it's just been futility. And I was watching it with my uh, college buddy who lives in Philly with me, and I just think of like all of the crazy high playoff moments that we've even had just with Giannis so far. I mean, like the game six against the Bulls, it would have been absolutely improbable and we lost by so much, but I I'll, I'll admit it. I, I didn't get any work done that day. I was so excited for that game six, just to think about the prospect of the Bucks being able to do some sort of amazing turnaround. Uh, I mean, obviously the Raptors series was amazing when they blew them out. Uh, in Milwaukee, I mean, I was over the moon. And then the, the Boston series last year, as frustrating as it was that we couldn't pull it out. I mean, there was a lot of hope there too. Uh, sort of finally sort of get over this, get over this huge hump. And, and like you guys said, sort of shedding this uh, a little bit, I would say of the, this moniker that they can't do it in the playoffs, you know, Giannis needs to prove it. I mean, I think that stuff's certainly going to be here going into the second round, but uh, you know, I, I guess for me, it really felt like, uh, at, at this time, at least, I, I can really just enjoy the moment of them finally getting rid of this super awful, annoying playoff streak that they've had for years. And I guess depressingly, the the Pistons streak continues as the longest playoff losing streak, 14 games now in NBA history. So tough look for the Pistons, eh, Riley? Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think the beauty on top of everything else, the fact that they were able to, as you said, proverbially get the monkey off their back is that they did in such dominating fashion. Like we'll talk a little bit about our uh, upcoming opponents in the Celtics, but the fact that of pretty much any sort of playoff series, the Bucks have by far been the most dominant. Like, I don't know, there was a couple of moments where the Pistons were sort of competitive and they even had the lead going into half. I think it was, was just game three um, where it was like, okay, I mean, it's not going to be, totally a cakewalk but even by the end they just kind of pulled it out and there was never any sort of doubt where i was like oh i don't know like they they don't look all that great like there wasn't really a moment besides when Giannis was sort of struggling but even then other guys stepped up so um to not only get over the hump even though i think we've discussed previously that none of us are really believers in like oh if you haven't done it in the playoffs yet if you haven't won then you're never gonna win um but to kind of blow that out of the water and then do it in such dominating fashion is just uh it's a cherry on top yeah, and Kyle, I think uh, beyond just the the Bucks dominating as a team as a whole, which has you know obviously been their trademark all season long. I I think there I can't think of a more satisfying way for this series to end heading into the long break here than Giannis sort of shaking off that weird off kilter game three performance and putting up a career playoff high forty one points and doing it in the in the absolutely most you know traditional dominating way possible that you think for him just attacking the rim relentlessly over and over. I mean it seems like that is just an excellent narrative to have going into this break as we break this uh eventual Boston Bucks uh playoff series to death over the next few days. Yeah and I think it was kind of 
a little bit concerning, especially in the first half when he was struggling from the free throw line. And, well, everyone on the Bucks was struggling from the free throw line. And it was kind of one of those where, you know, Detroit, it was going to be were they going to put up a fight or were they going to just roll over? And they put up a fight and they put up a hell of a fight um, in that first half. And it seems like every time Milwaukee was able to get a basket, Detroit would hit a three. And the math was not on Milwaukee's side for the majority of the game. But, you know, Giannis kind of highlighted it, just kept attacking the rim and attacking the rim and attacking the rim and putting up a ridiculous circuit shot, which I still couldn't believe he hit. And it just forced, you know, Detroit to, they had to choose whether you follow him and take your chances, but everyone was starting to get into high foul trouble and Blake Griffin fouling out. Or you just put up weak defense around him and he was able to get whatever he wanted at the rim. So it was also fitting because, you know, there's this whole Giannis didn't win the playoff series. And, you know, to go out on the road, score 41 points, have a couple highlight plays, just doing it on both ends of the floor. You know, in the first half, he couldn't get anything going offensively, but defensively, he was still a menace. And then, you know, vice versa in the second half. And it is pretty fitting. And I feel like this this is Giannis in a nutshell is he's going to force – anything at the rim he's gonna do whatever he wants and you can't really stop him your only hope is that he continues like goes cold from the free throw line yeah just underscoring that fact i mean 28 for 34 were the bucks tonight at the rim that's just absolutely insane and that's been something the pistons haven't been able to stop them at all in that area close proximity to the basket this whole series uh, and i mean that's really where they the bucks wanted tonight the pistons were shooting pretty well 13 for 34 from three, that's 38.2%. That's really what kept them in the game. It seemed like to me, Riley was the the hot shooting at least for a little while. Yeah, and even when like in the third quarter, like Kyle's just saying, like, again, I think we have to kind of go back and circle Giannis because this was definitely like, if there was such a game here throughout the series that was com- his coming out party, it was definitely that. And it's it falls on him in like the third quarter when Reggie Jackson of all people is like going hot and getting really hot from three. And it just seems like every time I looked up, uh, Kevin Harlan was losing his mind over some sort of Detroit basket. And then immediately would be like, and there comes Giannis on the other end, like just going right through people. And then when Giannis was out, like, again, this is another game where he doesn't have to play all that many minutes, like throughout the entire series, he only got 32 minutes tonight. And the fact that you're able to fall back and here comes Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. And it's, I think, this was another great game for like Eric Bledsoe, for example, where he comes out and he does exactly what he's done all season long. Chris Middleton kind of similar, like he's just doing his like occasional post-ups, occasional mid-rangers, but also doing a couple threes here or there. And I think it was a microcosm of the season, maybe a little bit more so just because, you know, Giannis put the team offensively on his back for that long stretch and really kind of put the game away. But um, what was most remarkable was how unremarkable the game was just because we've seen this happen so many times throughout the season and the fact that it sustains, even in the higher intensity of playoffs, even when the Pistons got somebody like Blake Griffin back, um, it's just they had no answers. And that's both maybe a little bit of an indictment of how how big of a hole Detroit is in, but also just a big credit to the Bucks. the fact that the system and the team work so well that even when you get into more serious competition, you don't have to do anything different. You just rely on the things that got you there, and here you are going on to the second round. Yeah, and I mean, Kyle, I, I mean, Eric Bledsoe, I think, had a 
a, a, a picturesque Eric Bledsoe game, seven for 12 from the field, 16 points, five assists, two steals. And really it was him and, and Middleton was doing work in that third quarter, but it was really Bledsoe just picking his spots, uh, taking apart the Detroit defense whenever he wanted. I mean, his ability that he had that one play in transition where he got in transition, Blake Griffin was like sort of trailing behind him and you could see Blake maybe could have tried and gone up and contested him, but Bledsoe was just able to use his out- outstanding lower body strength and shield him off and get another finish at the rim. He only had one free throw attempt on the night and you could see that improving in the rounds ahead. But I also want to highlight Sterling Brown. I mean, this guy for the whole series. And I mean, particularly tonight, we talked about his seven assist game last week. I mean, tonight he leads the Bucks in terms of assists for the game, six assists. And he also leads them in rebounds. I mean, Kyle, I don't, I don't think you can say enough about how Sterling Brown and George Hill and, and, you know, Nikola Mirotic play well tonight are just sort of filling in the fringes of this Bucks rotation in a much more meaningful way than what we saw last year. Yeah. And especially, I mean, the depth, I kind of, I know I've been talking about in the past, but the depth of this team is just fantastic you know you're losing players and you can have Sterling Brown coming in the starting lineup and he plays really really well and he's really turned it around since that Atlanta game and George Hill deserves a great shout out you know he at the end of the first quarter he hits a three when Milwaukee couldn't get anything going offensively gets that steal gets the two free throws gets the game within two you know it's just plays like those where it kind of just exemplifies George Hill as that guy you know he can come off the bench he's that steadying presence and he can come up big when needed, um, just like in that Philadelphia game. Miritich is back hitting shots. I know after game one, we were kind of talking about let him get these bad shots out of the way and misses out of the way now, so that way when it gets to the next round, he's ready to go, and I think he's getting there. I don't think he's 100%, but he looks a lot better, especially in the last two games, and you know, it's that's just what the team is, and even someone like Pat Connaughton, who defensively might give you a He's going to take those gambles, and it's going to pay off. And so I think the depth is really huge. And in terms of Eric Bledsoe, it it was really – you can kind of tell in that fourth quarter, he knew Detroit was in foul trouble, and that's when he decided to pick his spots and attack the rim because he didn't do it much in the first half. And, you know, Middleton was kind of the same way. It was like those two didn't really get anything in the first half. And then the second half, it was, you know, Middleton gets a pull-up three. He's – you know, the team's feeling good. He's feeling good. Bledsoe realizes – if they follow him, they're going to fall out. Or it's more free throws, and he decides that's what I'm going to attack. And it just looked like the Bucks knew when to pick their spots and when, you know, they they can they kept playing their game offensively, while defensively they kind of made some changes. So I, I was impressed by the team overall, especially considering each of the four games were kind of different. The first game, Milwaukee just shut out the gate and didn't look back. And then the second game it was you know the first half they kind of struggled and then turned it around and got that going and game three Blake Griffin comes in Giannis has a poor game still win by 13 points 13 or 16 and then game four really was you know he couldn't get anything going offensively they couldn't get any threes but they just stuck to their game and was able to just get a basket and a few things going their way and get a couple of timely plays and that just shows that they were the better team now they can't play like they did in game four against Boston and expect it to be easier, but it is encouraging that I think this was for those that were concerned that they're going to coast through and they might not be ready for Boston. I think this was a good wake up call slash, you know, warm up for them. Yeah. I was actually going to bring that up because uh, I know you had mentioned earlier, Riley, you thought it was a probably a boon for this team that they didn't feel like they had to really make any drastic adjustments mid series. And yeah, it's probably a good thing they dominated to that level, but do you think there's any sort of drawback to the fact that, you know, I would say, 
it's a, I mean, at least from some of the the national people that um, I've heard, you know, their their primary criticism against Bud has been sort of his inability to make adjustments in series. Is there any sort of drawback to the fact that the Bucks weren't really faced with that type of scenario that much this year this series, or uh, do you think that's just something that was just a, a matter of the difference level in terms of talent on on both these teams? Well, I think maybe it's probably the talent level, but I mean nobody was able to really force the Bucks to have to adjust in any sort of meaningful way throughout the entire season. Like we've yet to really run across a team that had a game plan that was like, wow, that's like really effective. And wow, the Bucks really have to think about changing something like that's a, that's a gigantic flaw. Like that the go-to like criticism is like, well, if Giannis doesn't have a jumper, which like <laughs> has been the old hat argument for years now. So um, yes, it's, an indictment of the difference in talents between the Bucks and the Pistons. But even then it's throughout the entire season, like in the three games that the Bucks played Boston, like the one loss was like a pretty bad shooting night for the Bucks. And it was a really good shooting night for the Celtics. And then that's pretty much like the tail of the tape for any sort of game. So I'm not sure even how many gigantic adjustments the Bucks will even need to make because they haven't had to throughout the entire season. It's, it's worked perfectly. Now, and even if we had had, or even if the Bucks had been forced to make adjustments, I mean, I don't, I don't see that as like Coach Bud needs to have reps adjusting on the fly to like be more comfortable with it. Like he either has it or he doesn't. And I'm not sure if you know having to adjust slightly in Game Three was going to be the big differentiating make or differentiator whether or not he was going to be able to step up in the second round against Brad Stevens, for example. So I don't take away too much from it. I think it's, again, just all credit to him for having such a dominant system. And we'll see once things kind of get tighter over the course of a series. But even going in against Boston, like obviously the talent level is a lot higher, but they're still missing guys like Marcus Smart, and they're still relying on pretty much a seven-man rotation to get them through. So they don't have nearly as many guys like like last season when Marcus Smart returned. That was like a decisive factor for them to kind of swing the series back to the Celtics. And we'll see what his health status is moving forward. But you're not going to have to deal with a team where, you know, if for whatever reason Brad Stevens makes a slight adjustment or like he can pull some guy off the bench and maybe insert him. Like I think the odds that they're going to have to adjust radically probably aren't that high. And so I'm not too worried that they didn't have to do in the first round either. That's totally fair. And yeah, I think this is a great time to pivot, obviously, to look a lot more at Boston. Um, obviously the enjoyable win against the Pistons, but this team clearly has higher aspirations. So let's just look back at a couple of those contests that they had. So like Riley alluded to, they tipped off their first game was in November, that 117-113 loss that the Bucks had at their hands. Of course, if you haven't heard, that was the game where Al Horford um, hit a bunch of pick and pops. Uh, I feel like that's been the uh, basically the the game that people have pointed to this whole season and still like sort of thought that that's the reason why the Bucks defense won't work, even though they – you know, we're pretty much fine the whole rest of the year and faced other teams that had pick and pop bigs. But anyway, in December, the Bucks <laughs> won. Uh, yeah, um, the Bucks won uh, 120 to 107. Uh, that game, the Celtics didn't have Al Horford. And then February 21st, the first game out of the All-Star break, not close, narrow, 98-97 win for Milwaukee. Uh, really, really strong game there. The Bucks pulled it out late. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, the... Celtics have Al Horford and and Kyrie Irving going 37 and 41 minutes respectively. You could tell that they wanted that one, and the, and the Bucks were still able to take it uh, on their home court. So those were some impressive wins. But you know, I, 
I think Riley makes a smart point that teams, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot, a lot about as teams, and some people seem to talk a, a little bit more about what's going to happen if people play Brook Lopez off the floor. And Kyle, I, I just don't, I'm waiting to see the scenario where it even can happen, where a team would be able to get Brook Lopez off the floor, because to this point, it doesn't really feel like we've seen it, even in that first Boston game where it really took a, a heroic shooting effort from them for them to be able to fell the Bucks. Right. And I don't think Brooke Lopez is going to get shot off the floor. You know, Al Horford is going to pick and pop, and it's not like he's going to turn into when Joel Embiid plays the Bucks and just fire up 13-something threes. I think Budenholzer is also going to note that it's going to happen and might, and depending on how they do the pick and roll, maybe they just switch it if it's like a 4-5 pick and roll or depending on with Giannis or with Bledsoe, how that's going to go because I'm sure they're going to do a lot of Kyrie Horford type of things. But... I think it's just going to be the adjustments that Boonholzer makes. You know, like you said, the first game, it took Boston hitting a record amount of threes. But then again, in that third game, it took a couple of questionable calls going both ways for that game to end. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to look more like the first game, whether it's the Bucks or the Celtics hitting a rare amount of threes, or if it's going to be the third game, which is going to be more of a slugfest, or if it's going to be the second game, even though the Celtics were kind of shorthanded. Milwaukee kind of handily won that game. So I think it's going to be kind of more of a combo of that second and third game because I just don't see Boston shooting that well again. Um, and I don't see, because I mean, even there are guys that are hitting shots that are not good shooters. So I think it's going to be more of a kind of the second or third game style. But it's going to be interesting to say the least just because I think last year if Eric Bledsoe was half decent, or if Joe Prunty wasn't the coach, or if you don't have Jabari Parker and Shabazz Muhammad and Jason Terry play 20-something minutes in a Game 7, Milwaukee wins that series. And now you come back with a better team and a better coach, while the Celtics haven't really improved from last year, and if anything, they've kind of stagnated or gotten worse. I think that's going to play into Milwaukee's hands more favorably. Yeah, and of course, they're coming off the the sweep themselves of the Indiana Pacers the um, is, uh, oh yeah, I, you you Great heard our thoughts, you heard Woo. our thoughts about watching those so games. Yeah, so exciting. I love Bojan Bogdanovic, primary offensive initiator. Uh, okay, so I just looked <laughs> at the some floor, of... ISO ISO Bojan. <laughs> it was honestly the fact that the Pacers didn't fall any lower without Old Depot was kind of shocking. Yeah, like, it's crazy. The when he got hurt, and they only fell to the fifth seed. That's ridiculous and kind of impressive. Well, they were only, and I mean, if you look at the stats, like their net rating was only 0.2 during that time, which is like, you know, it's basically like playing like a 500 team. So it's it's essentially like the Boston Celtics were facing the Detroit Pistons. So, uh, and that's something I actually w- wanted to talk about here is that, so you're looking at the opponents that both of these two teams faced, trying to figure out if we really learned anything from these series. I, I guess I'm prone to think that I, I learned almost nothing new about the Bucks. And I don't really know if we learned anything new about the Celtics from this series. Do you think, Riley? No, not really. I think the only thing you could really probably point to would be like Gordon Hayward kind of seeming to sort of kind of come together for at least a game. Like I think his game four performance, he was like the key guy. But otherwise, uh, even like game three, he played 32 minutes, had two for seven from the floor and only six points. Like it's it. I think Kyle's point is correct that this is going to be a different Celtics team because obviously they didn't have Kyrie and they didn't have Hayward during the series last year. Um, and they didn't have a smart for part of it as well. Um, so that'll be kind of a different look there, but otherwise, I mean, 
none of the games were super remarkable. Like that, that first game was super typical early matinee, like NBA playoff game, totally sloppy on both ends. Just an eyesore offensively. Um, and I'm not sure if there was anything besides like, I don't know. Didn't uh, somebody tweet out that Kyrie Irving has the highest winning percentage as a player in, in like postseason history or like that. But uh, otherwise, I don't know. I'm pretty confident that the Celtics team that you saw during the season um, isn't radically different. Like maybe, you know, obviously Kyrie is a lot more reliable now or is playing at a higher level now than he was during the regular season where he was still even pretty remarkable there. But otherwise, I'm not sure if there was something you take away from the Pistons series like, or not the Pistons, the Pacers series like, oh my God, we have to watch Al Horford. He's pick and pop and he's so hot right now. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I didn't really see it. And I guess, and I don't know. They're a weird team in that any of their guys could potentially play well, but they have like too many horses at the trough kind of situation. So they're, they're an interesting team. I'm curious how they're going to be able to perform once you're raised the competition against them, where it's not nearly as easy to kind of dole things out because your opponent isn't, it's it, like you said, very much like the Bucks uh, series here where it wasn't all that much of a test just because the opponent wasn't all that great. And that's, you know, not Indiana's fault. They're missing Oladipo, but um, I'm not sure there was much you could take away and say, Oh, this is a decisive thing that they're going to ride from here on out. I think it's so funny too, that you bring that up really the, the idea that there's too many horses at the trough. Uh, because I mean, you could say the thing that same thing that there's too many bucks at the trough, but like, it's just seems like the mentality of the bucks players maybe versus the Celtics players. I mean, uh, you have guys like, like seemingly just like a guy like Terry Rogier seems like a guy who he like really wants minutes. He like needs to be out there. He's like clearly up and down. And then you look up and down the Bucks roster. It's like, I mean, George Hill could probably, you know, he, he's been playing, he's been getting pretty steady minutes, but it's like Tony Snell doesn't really even play like DJ Wilson could probably give some like decent minutes that they have like Marcus Morris doing something for them. Um, you know, it just feels like the, the ethos of this Bucks team. Uh, Kyle, I mean, it's see, I think they're, I think they're honestly just as just as deep as Boston, uh, but it feels like there's there's more of like a, a collective team mentality to them as opposed to the the drama filled season that this uh, Celtics have gone through. I think Kyle agrees. No, yeah, so I definitely <laughs> agree that Milwaukee is as deep as Boston. I think the only reason why Boston kind of gets more of the hype is because you know. There are a lot of guys, there are a lot of big names that people know. You know, you have like Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. And then last year you had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown kind of break through. And then you had Terry Rozier have a breakout series. And it's kind of just a lot of guys that people know, whether they've just been around the league long enough or if it's just because, you know, it's Boston. So, of course, anyone, everyone makes it seem like it's a bigger deal. But this was the same team that should have won 60 games and couldn't and there's no excuses not like they had in that bad of injuries it's not like they were you know just having a poor stress they just were not living up to expectations so I think and a lot of the times when the Celtics had their issues it was always after some kind of loss I think that even after the loss at home against Milwaukee they had a team meeting and it's kind of one of those where are they going to mentally be able to keep it together for a seven game series in which they are not Things are not going to go well, and they're going to lose a game, and they're going to struggle. And that's when it's going to be really curious to see how that goes compared to Milwaukee, where, you know, the Bucks have a better team chemistry and better team spirit. If things don't go well, then it's fine. They're going to work hard and try and fix those mistakes. While with Boston, it's going to be kind of just like a mess and kind of some kind of soap opera 
So I think that's going to be the key difference. And it, Milwaukee's depth is only going to get better when they have a healthy Brogdon. Even if they bring him off the bench, he's still going to be another player that has shown that he can perform in the playoffs compared to Boston, where it's like, yeah, you have a couple guys that can do it. But in the end, are you really hoping that Al Horford and Aaron Baines are available for them to have a chance? That's kind of an issue. Well, and it's, I, I was going to say, it's not even just like, there's all that. I, I, I would tend to think that, yes, they had a tough season, but they've kind of put it together near the end of the season. They even ended the year like top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating, like just barely, but they made it. Um, and they do have the top line Tana, but I think the main difference, not only is it that they had the bucks now have a coaching staff, like a legit coaching staff. That's not in a realm or just kind of putting together on the fly, but it's like the top end talent. We have Giannis, but like a whole nother year of seasoning and kind of perfecting his game and being within the system that typifies everything he does well. But then you also have, you're not going to have probably the human torch, Chris Middleton that you did a year ago, but you have somebody who fits more within the system and isn't, being called upon um, the entire game to like help carry the offensive loan. You have an Eric Bledsoe who's probably a lot more comfortable with this within the system and looking forward to a chance to redeem himself from a year ago. And then once you move past that, it's not even like the depth where guys 10, 11, 12 are of a higher talent level, but like, you know, seven, eight, nine, those kind of guys who are going to probably get like 10, 12 minutes the ability of those guys is so much better than it was a year ago. that It's almost laughable when you think about it. And the fact that John Horst went ahead and put brought all these guys in that, and we've talked about throughout the entire season, but the fact that they fit so perfectly, like each and every one of them has a role to fulfill within the system on both ends of the floor. And it's not like, okay, well, we have Shabazz Muhammad and he's kind of like shot a lot of really good mid-rangers uh, for whatever reason. So let's just keep riding that. Like you don't have to rely on that anymore. And I think that's going to probably be the differentiating factor that ends up putting the series to the Bucks. Though I do think it'll probably be um, a little bit more dra- knockout drag out than uh, the first round for, uh, for either team, I should say. So in my research, I saw that the one game that Aaron Baines played, it looked like the Bucks lost. So rather any credence to the fact, do you think like Giannis was just trying too hard to destroy him with a dunk? Like, do you think he was too focused on that? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a really good question. I, I hope that uh, it, it seemed throughout the first series that Giannis took a lot of glee and destroying dudes the entire time. And it's not like uh, it wasn't like early season Giannis where he's still kind of like getting used to things or getting used to the system. Like he's a lot more comfortable with things and seems very much in the zone right now. Like even his, his, yes, his minutes are down, but even his per, per 36 uh, production is like way up They're not way up, but like pretty up from even last year um, in the playoffs. So I'm not sure if it was a function of him focusing too much on getting the highlight dunk. I think that will come in time. So, and I believe he's got the, uh, the patience and the mindset to wait for the right opportunity to decimate Aaron Baines. And who knows if Aaron Baines is even going to get played all that much, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll be something they'll be right. And Brad Stevens will write on the old, uh, the clipboard during a timeout, like Aaron kind of stand over here and look, uh, look ready to receive a dunk. Like we need that right now. Well, I think that does actually play into something I wanted to talk about weirdly, uh, which is the fact that last year, Brad Stevens sort of seemed to employ this strategy that he was just going to let Giannis kind of get his and then have the other players try to beat him. And clearly that that didn't work out for Eric Bledsoe, worked for Chris Middleton, uh, and obviously worked out because the Bucks were a lot more talent efficient last year. I mean, Jason Conley, Terry. 
Jason, Jason Terry, uh, Thon maker was the swing guy. Uh, and you saw how he played tonight. Uh, he was good last year, but, uh, you know, he's also a Thon maker. Um, so if he's no longer on the team, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's also no longer on the team. Uh, but I mean, like you look at the, I was just looking at the stats. So like Giannis scored at least 30 in every single game against the Celtics this year, 30, 30 and 33. Um, it was sort of a mixed bag for the rest of the starters. Brook Lopez actually had pretty quiet nights, three points, two points, and 10 points. So 10 points was the most that he scored against Boston all season long. So it, Kyle, do you think that Stevens is going to try and do sort of a, a similar thing this year? Like just try and let Giannis get his and, and see if everyone else can stay home and shut down the rest of, uh, of Milwaukee's players. Well, whether Stevens wants to do it or not, it's going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah, I was going to say, matter. he doesn't have much of a choice. You're, he's, it's kind of like a, well, we can try. It's not going to work. But Giannis is going to get his. It's just a matter of will someone else step up and help Giannis out? Will Bledsoe exercise those playoff demons? Will Chris Milton continue being a flamethrower? Will there be a different bench player that kind of joins, whether it's George Hill or Nikola Mirotic or Pat Connaughton or Ursan? If there's someone else that kind of comes off the bench and is that spark plug, and if Brook Lopez is going to continue just doing what he does, like those are... I think Stevens can try, but it's not going to matter. It's Giannis is going to get, you know, 30 something points and 14, 15 rebounds, six, seven assists, maybe at most, and just have his way, whether, whether they like it or not. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the, the inefficiency that the, the Bucks haven't really had to uh, explore yet is the fact that Giannis still continues to play. So, so few minutes. I mean, Riley, imagine him. You were talking about his per 36 numbers being up. I mean, he could go up to 40 minutes probably pretty easily here, um, especially with the fact that you get at least one to two days rest between all of these games. Yeah, I uh, I, I pray for whatever poor team has to deal with a fully unleashed 40-minute Giannis. We might not even see it still. It's just because uh, if if the games get out of hand or it seems like Bud has been pretty on top of getting him his rest when he needs to. Um but yeah, it, it'll be interesting seeing which team is the first one. I think whoever is the first team that forces him to get a 40-minute game that's not an overtime game, they should get some sort of reward, like some sort of compensatory, like, you did it, you got Giannis to go go above 35 minutes this game. Congratulations. Um, but it, it, I think w- the beauty of that is just because he'll it'll be so tiring to have to play against that for you know a full 40 minutes. Like, it's one thing when... You know, he's he's having difficulty, like he's char- getting charges called against him or, you know, it, like we said, like if you have guys who are able to wall him off, but he's even just from a year ago, he's so much more seasoned and so much more crafty. And he seems to have a lot more of a like grip or handle on how to be able to get his offensively without having a lot of the kind of like not boneheaded, but like kind of mistakes that we'd have. And he had some throughout the season, obviously, but I think it'll be difficult, especially for the Celtics, just because I think they only have eight dudes have averaged more than 10 minutes a game. Like you have Horford, you have Morris, you have like, I guess Hayward. And then maybe you could throw like Tatum on him, Tatum on him, but none of those guys really scary besides maybe Horford, just because he has like the quote unquote veteran savvy as a paint defender. But you know, none of those guys really scare you. Like, Oh, he he's a shutdown defender. Like if Giannis is matched up against any of the guys, he'll go right through him. And then, if they kind of have to continue to rotate and none of the guys can really get a handle on them. And then you have 40 minutes. You're like, wow, this is, this sucks. Like having to deal with this dude possession after possession. And then it's not only 
we all kind of collapse on him, but then he has all these other guys around him who can just make us pay for the fact that we have to try and stop him for 40 minutes. Um, I think it'll be a nightmare scenario for any team. And it's not only Chustiatis, but even Eric or Chris or like any of the top line talent who haven't had to have much run at all. And I think the Celtics have had Kyrie's averaging like 38, 37 minutes a game. Like he's already had to ramp it up in the first round against the relatively lowly Pacers. So uh, good luck to Boston. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun for him. Yeah, just a couple mismatch stats that I pulled here uh, real quickly. So I was looking at some stuff. Obviously, the Bucks had a, had plenty of free throws tonight. They ranked around middle of the pack in terms of free throw rate for this season, actually exactly middle of the pack, um, about 19.9 free throws per 100 field goal attempts. Um, Boston is, is really low in that regard. They, they're 29th in the league, 17.3 free, free throws per 100 field goal attempts, which um, obviously sort of mitigates the Bucks' advantage there as the, the team that – uh, allows the least free throws against them. So so that's kind of a disappointment there. But you also look at at Boston, um, you know, they're you know, they're when you look at the the transition game, which I think was obviously such a huge part of this Detroit series, you could see Giannis trying to attack whenever he had a chance. The Bucks, I believe, are run transition the fourth most frequent. And then Boston uh, allows the least transition plays per game through this season. So uh, you know, it seems like some of these the, these stats here are going are going to be really interesting chess matches. You know, and as much as I, I feel pretty confident in the Bucks being able to do this, you know, I, I mean, Boston is a team that has, if you look across all of their stats, I mean, they rank really highly, even if they're not quite as high at the Bucks. I mean, they're they're top ten for a lot of these types of things, and and that was with a, a regular season that people said was pretty disjointed. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm hesitant to really to write them, you know, to to I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more. I feel a little more fearful, Kyle, of this series against Boston than maybe I do in the next round. Maybe that's just because I'm, you know, I have no idea if we'll make it there or not. But I, I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nah. All, right. all right. Never mind. I mean, Boston's going to present a tough challenge. I will acknowledge that they're going to be. I think they're the second toughest team Milwaukee would potentially face in the Eastern Conference. I think Toronto's still their biggest threat just because they have more of those pieces that kind of match up with Milwaukee while Boston, I mean, they, other than Kyrie Irving, don't have a player who position-wise is better than some, than the Bucks' counterpart. So I think that's going to be the difference. And again, I don't, I just don't think really what Boston is going to do. They're going to try and slow it down. They're going to, like you said, prevent Milwaukee from going in transition. However, it's just going to be one of those where if the Bucks can hit their shots, this game is not, it's not going to be close. But I think the Celtics are going to be a tougher test. I think they have the better. I think they have a coach that oh, should. Oh, you got dangerously close to saying that you thought uh, Stevens was better than uh, Bud, didn't you? In terms of tactic like an in, in, in a tactic perspective, maybe, but Stevens should be a coach that makes the adjustments that are needed. He, he should be the coach that knows when to pick the moments of where to attack Milwaukee, which I don't think, I mean, Dwayne Casey doesn't really, he didn't really have it. And I don't see any other coach in Eastern conference doing that. So that's the one thing where Boston does have the edge is having a coach that can seem to pick their moments on how to attack Milwaukee, where to attack Milwaukee it's going to be tough, but I still think the Bucks win it in six. And if anything, it, it, I could see it going five. 
<laughs> so the idea of Riley being like, wow, did you almost say that someone was better than Bud? That's yeah. sacrilege. How could you do that, Kyle? <laughs> How did this guy get on the podcast? What's happening here? <laughs> this is homers only. Uh, yeah, better I guess than players we, only. Slightly yeah, better than players everything only. Everything is better yeah, than players only. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is true. Uh, well, I, I don't, I'm trying to think. Okay, so you think that the only positional advantage they have is Kyrie uh, over Eric Bledsoe. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, it's not like it's a large gap. It's a, it's 50-50. I would just say Kyrie's offense is that good that he himself can win a game for Boston. I can't say the same with Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe's defense could win a game for Milwaukee, but Kyrie's offense is I think just slightly better than Eric's defense. I would say the, probably the one area, the other area of weakness, and this is kind of dependent on when Malcolm, Malcolm's able to come back, but Sterling Brown, like he's, you already went through it, Adam, like he's had a great playoff so far. And he's definitely stepped up to the occasion of being within the starting lineup. But um, if, He's still out there. Like I, I don't even know who Boston's really running out there for. There, I, uh, I was trying to look it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I'm like looking through it right <laughs> it now. It. it looks. It looks like Jalen Brown is the guy that they're going with. So, I mean, I don't know how big of a drop off there is. I think there's probably a little bit of a drop off, especially on the offensive end. But even then, like maybe he's an area of concern. But it, it, it's. It, I agree that there's probably like one through five, and Al Horford versus Brooke Lopez is a little ambiguous, just because they both kind of like they're both really important in their own unique ways. So that's kind of a toss up. But if you're like, I would agree generally down the line, like Chris Milton's probably more, probably more reliable at this point than Gordon Hayward, even if their top level games may not match up necessarily, but Eric Bledsoe's not super duper far down from Kyrie. Like obviously Kyrie is an awesome offensive player, but we'll have to see how that works out. And then Giannis is obviously there's nobody you can kind of compare to Giannis. So I would, what broadly agree with Kyle's point though I, I agree that I'll probably be a lot closer in terms of talent than the first series was yeah and I, I I think we need to talk about a bit of the the backup power forward rotation because that that's certainly something I mean Brooke you know he plays around 30 minutes a game maybe they'll ramp that up um you know a little bit more here in the Boston series uh, as long given as long as he's seems to be having success um, but I mean, if the Bucks do have to go to a switching defense, I, I mean, I think Brooke Lopez had pretty decent success uh, when they went to the switching defense a couple times this season. I mean, he was able to guard guards with an, an impressive ability with his, uh, you know, ballet feet. But uh, I, I think we need to talk a little bit about Nikola Mirotic and Ersan Ilyasova. Um, and I especially want to focus in on Mirotic. I, Kyle, it had to be heartening to see him. For me, it was personally, at least to see him finally knock down some shots because uh, I I, I think that there's just like an offensive upside to him that remains untapped that I think the Bucks are are absolutely going to need going into the latter rounds with the with the sort of serviceable defense that he can present as well on the other end. Yeah, it's definitely going to be something in, you know, game one, he comes back, doesn't really get any shots going, but this game and game three, he seems to have found his rhythm. And he's going to be a, kind of a difference maker if he can come in for, you know, you kind of run him out see if he can get anything going. If he hits a couple shots, great. If he doesn't, then, okay, you go with Ursan and DJ Wilson as your other options. So I think that's going to be the important part is if Mirtich can hit his shots, that's someone that, you know, he just needs to come off the bench, hit two or three threes, and if he can do that, that's a win for Milwaukee. Yeah, Kyle, is there anyone else? Do you think, like, I'm curious what you think about Pat Connaughton. Like, do you think he's going to still get as much run and he's as he's got in this Detroit series? 
I think so, just because I don't know how up to speed Brogdon is going to be. If because it's it's a lot tougher because it's a foot, so you don't know like conditioning and everything else where he's at. So I think he I think Connaughton will still get a run. He, you know, offensively has shown that he should be out on the court. Defensively, he's been kind of a mixed bag where he's kind of gambling on stuff, but also is getting a couple blocks. And he had that timely steal, which I think was the key turning point of that game. So he's going to still get a run out. And until Brogdon is 100% healthier shown or can show that he is, you know, able to handle playoff intensity minutes, I think Connaughton will still get a run. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be, it would be pretty weird because I think he's averaging like 28.7 minutes a game. Like that would be, <laughs> obviously Malcolm's going to suck up some minutes, but because he's well, playing so. Well, going to be a blowout. Uh, yeah, yeah, you would assume. Uh, that's true. Well, maybe they will. Maybe that'll be a, uh, that's a hint for my prediction. But um, I I think I would agree with your point, Kyle, that it's really dependent. Like part of the luxury of Connaughton playing relatively well and not being like, you know, a clear negative when he's out on the court is the fact that you can kind of ease Brogdon back into it. So, and I think that's probably the way that Bud will probably go about it. So I agree that I, I would assume that the rotation stays relatively stable now. And, you know, who knows if you even need to rush Malcolm back. It kind of depends on how the games go. Yeah. And I'd like to do one quick shout out. I forgot this in that first uh, Milwaukee loss that they had to Boston to start the year. The guy who had the by far best plus minus for the game, Dante DiVincenzo. Lord and Savior of the Brew Podcast, plus 16 oh. for the day. Next closest guy was Tony Snell at plus four. So Giannis was minus four. So clearly that day, Dante was better than Giannis. That is what the numbers say. Uh, <laughs> and that way, do, do we have to do the Dante's Inferno? No, I don't want to take the time to put the, I don't want to take the time to put the bumper in. Um, all right, let's see. Well, anything else you guys want to say about this this Boston series? I guess before we get to predictions, Kyle, you kind of made yours already, but we can, uh, you know, lock it in here. Yeah, yeah Kyle, it's six. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. All right. So Kyle's got Kyle's got Bucks and six. Um, any like sort of main points for why you you think that's going to be the way it goes? I think Boston will steal a game in Milwaukee. I, however, think Milwaukee has a better team. Milwaukee has a better coach than last year. Milwaukee has better depth than last year. And Eric Bledsoe is going to go on a redemption path. And I will talk about it more later this week in a potential piece. Ooh, the tease. Wow. wow. I didn't even know about that. Oh, I just thought of it like five minutes ago. <laughs> I just threw it in the editor, so don't worry. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be super obnoxious and say the Bucks sweep the Celtics. Um, and my reasoning is uh, I am not going to fall uh, for the trap, even though I kind of already talked about it earlier, that I'm supposed to believe the Celtics suddenly woke up and are a totally different team because we saw everybody everybody here and everybody across you know the nation around the world saw that first game against the Pacers. And that game, that Celtics team, those are the Celtics, Celtics are going to be seeing in this series. So um, I'm not worried about it at all. I think the Bucks are going to smack them every single game out. Uh, I'm just... What it it was such a whole hum first series and the Bucks have yet to be like at all challenged or like they've yet to even have to like turn it on at all to you know win games easily. So um I expect the Bucks to go in with a little bit of vengeance in their hearts, uh some happiness and uh some glee at being or getting a chance to go into the 
TD Garden or whatever the hell they call it in Boston, just totally just tearing them apart on national TV in front of a stunned Boston crowd. So I expect the Bucks to sweep them in the series. All right, low expectations for Riley, and <laughs> I am going to go Bucks and seven. I don't really buy into whatever the Celtics were doing against the Pacers. Like, if your main offense is like Tyreek Evans doing some crazy crap, Wesley Matthews picked him off the garbage heap, and Bojan Bogdanovic doesn't mean I'm going to buy into it, but I do think that they present some interesting matchup issues for the for this Bucks team. I think there's a possibility of some really weird variant stuff happening here. Uh, you know, I I just think that sometimes that's what can happen in the playoffs in a short series where you're playing each other over and over. Uh, and I also think this Bucks team will be better for it if they emerge in the seven with seven seven games. They are absolutely formidable at home. Um, I think Boston might steal one on the Bucks home court, but I think the Bucks will be able to steal one in Boston and, and close it out in Milwaukee in Game Seven. And I think that'll put them in a good position uh, to have to have had a, a sort of a battle test here as they try and head into the Eastern Conference Finals for uh, presumably a, a death match with either Toronto or Philadelphia. So Bucks in Seven is my prediction. Uh, all right, guys. Well, again, it's so it's uh, we should we should say that it is exciting. Again, reiterate the fact that it's yes. exciting. The Bucks are able to get past their first first rounds in almost twenty years, but it was such a decimation that as exciting as it is and as awesome as it is, we have you know the rest of the week now to kind of sit back and relax before the series starts, and uh, we'll probably be more excited by the time we record the next one, whenever the first game is, and we have some more stuff to talk about, but. Uh, congrats to the Bucks! Uh, thank goodness, awesome season. Getting through the first round for the first time forever is an awesome accomplishment, um, and I'm looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, anything else, Kyle, from you? Oh, the hype train still going strong. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> All right. All right, let's end it on that. Congrats to the to the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and every fan out there. I hope you get to to revel in this win this week. You know, wh- whether it was a sweep, whoever they were facing, I mean, the fact that we absolutely just smacked this Pistons team every in every single way possible didn't let them really think that uh, they would even compete in the series besides for maybe a half or two. And now we get to just enjoy the fact that we've gotten past the first round and people can break us break down this Boston series to death over and over thinking about the fact that Giannis will destroy them in the paint for the next few days. Let that sink in. I hope it gives you sweet dreams for these next few days and we will talk to you again next time. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking 